never fails to get me riled up. <laughs> I love awesome. that song, dude. That's a great song. That is yeah. a great song. Welcome, it. everybody, to the 2023 version of the Old Grab Podcast. My first guest this year is Clay Lowe. And Clay, welcome. Thank you for the music introduction. Come on, whoop it up. <laughs> So, you know, I've had other podcasts before where I like Lori Ryder um, was one where I'm actually interviewing somebody who is a podcast host. So like, I yeah, feel like I got a little bit of uh, like nerves here going because uh, you are obviously far more advanced than I am in, in terms of the technology and and what you got going on there. So uh, you can give me oh, some it's pointers. All good, man. It's all good. Yeah, it's all good. So it is awesome to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for doing it. It's such a, I, I, I did a little vignette thing at the end of 2022. And I was like, why did I only get three or four of these things done in 2022? Like, I just felt, um, I felt like I needed to get back on the wagon, get this thing going again. And uh, I've missed doing it. Uh, and so thank you for doing it. Thank you for coming on. Yeah, happy to be here, man. I think it's a great project to do. Um, it's like one of these, like we were saying earlier, it's a, it's a nice oral history, isn't it? I mean, if you collect these up, I mean, this is going to be gold. So you've got to get busy this year because 15 is is not good. you got I 900 think, people to go through. Yeah, you? I could do more, I guess. I, I'll see. i got some changes in my life coming up here. I'm going to become an empty nester this year. And i got uh, uh, going to be leaving my current role in my in my my main my main gig in terms of work, I'm going to be leaving that in April. So I have a little bit more free time, I think. So maybe I'm going to be empty nester. So you have no excuse, man. Yeah, I know. <laughs> I know. Speaking of yeah. empty nester. So my, my little girl, my little baby, my little daughter is going to be in the class of 2027. She's going to West Point. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Pretty, have pretty you, amazing. you got her all prepped up. You've been giving her some tips and hints and. Yeah. Yeah. All that stuff. I mean, I think that the, um, the normal, it, 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 like my my excitement has begun to maybe morph into concern you know like just because she's my girl she's my daughter and whatever but it's you know it's not it's not exactly easy for for women to get um to get through that place as as it is for other you know it's not nice for anybody but um so uh in in a future podcast i'm actually going to have our classmate jen bodian on and jen bodian wrote a book an amazing book about her experience at West Point. It's called uh, Whatever the Cost. I highly recommend it. I made my daughter read it before nice. she committed to go to West Point. So um, really, really fascinating, great book. Nice. Who's Who do we got in the audience there? I think I saw Scott in there. Scott, we got Scott Clinton. We got 13 people. I can't see the actual people unless they chime in, but Tony Rosillo yeah. just said, love the accent, and uh, Keith Brown, Nadia King. I see Nadia. Uh, Me and Nadia go all the way back to the prep school, you know. If you think about all the prep school people, she's one of them. Yeah, yeah. Good times. Hey, you know, Scott, I believe, too, wasn't he? Scott, Scott, Scott was, too. Yeah, Scott yeah, was, absolutely. too. Oh, absolutely. Maybe too. Tony Rosillo, too. Craig and Dave, on the line. Dave Baxter, as well. Dave was Bax, at the... Bax, is Baxter on there? Yeah, yeah. Dave Baxter's on there? Yes, yeah, says Dave Bax. Baxter. Bax is, is one of my favorite people in the world, man. I love yeah, that guy. He's a funny dude. He was a funny dude. He was in my company. He's my squad. My my Ooh. my 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 beast squad. Yeah. So he squared me away. I was calling him sir for the first day, and then at, like halfway through the day, he said, "You know, you don't need to call me sir. I'm your classmate." Nice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Kirk's here as well. Kirk, how yeah. you doing, buddy? And Todd Wasman connected from Italy. Wow, look at this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Craig Morrow. Craig, now there's another funny dude, Craig Morrow. He's funny yeah. looking too. He's not only funny, but he's funny looking. 
I don't know if you're still funny looking, Craig, but yeah, it used to crack me up just uh, just looking at you, man. Good to see you guys. Good people. You know, maybe Sunday mornings is the time to do it because we have like 14 people on the line here. Normally on Sunday nights I do it. It's like, you know, I have like six to ten. But uh, maybe Sunday mornings is maybe it's, it's the way to do it. So, so we're joining. We're doing the Sunday morning thing because Clay, you're joining us from where? I'm from. I'm in Southam, little cow town in the United Kingdom. It's about uh, geographically, it's a almost exact center of the country. So it's about an hour and a half, maybe uh, north of London-ish, yeah. near Birmingham, second biggest city. Wow. I, I was just going to say some other names here. We got Moni Fox on, Kirk Swanson. Yeah, uh, wow, we got a, We got a big crew here. Big crew listening in. This is awesome. Yeah, I like it. It's nice. It's good yeah. to see some of these names. So, I mean, for for those who I think everybody here knows, but what we will do this we're going to be live on Facebook here, but then we're also going to then convert this into the audio version and publish it on um, on our podcast, which is covered through Podbean, but it's available through. Apple Podcasts and Stitcher and Spotify and all the podcast uh, apps. So definitely be able to listen to it. Claywood Coffee from Nadia. There you go. Nice. Cheers, everybody. It's Cheers. coming up for evening for me. I got some coffee too. Yeah, it's so it's you're so five hours ahead. I can, so I can have a beer right now while you guys are all drinking your coffee. But I'll, I'll, we I'll, can all I'll... have a beer. I mean, it doesn't, <laughs> <laughs> nothing's stopping us. No, all right. I'll tell you, what, I had a couple of beers last night and a couple of wines, and I had some sambuca too. And mm. um, or not sambuca? What do I have? Yeah, sambuca. So I don't sleep well when I drink. It's I'm like it's alcohol and sleep for me is a bad thing. It just doesn't really? work. Yeah, I gotta, I gotta. Cut I it don't out, drink I alcohol during the week because it puts me to sleep. One beer and I'm done. I'm finished. I'm out. Yeah, out but cold. don't you wake back up? Like I think your body Ooh. like metabolizes it now. I'm out, man. No, no, it sends me away, which is why I don't usually touch it unless it's the weekend. And so it's one of these things. I either have to drink more than two, or if I have the one, I'm or two, I'm going to sleep. How about we? Is weed legal in uh in the UK? Is no, that legal? no, no, no. Yeah, I see you guys are gone everywhere. Gone crazy. It's legal. <laughs> you guys I are gone off crazy. I we're, we've gone off we've gone off the reservation over here. Yeah. Like it's crazy. It's I don't. Not, I, I, I'm fascinated by that. Like, I wonder what happens in the army now, because it's got to be, uh, you got to be people like coming in at least, you know, uh, pissing hot have to be, you know? Yeah. It's funny. It's a strange thing, man. I always find that a weird one, it, you know, to go from being illegal to legal. And, and I know we don't want to talk politics, so I won't even get into my opinion on that whole sort of gig. I got to get on a plane and go to Amsterdam if I want to, have uh, anything in of a legal bit like mushrooms? I do dig on the magic mushrooms. Not really into the weed stuff, but magic mushrooms. Ace. Really? Oh man, I love it. You've done that? <laughs> oh yes, man. Is that oh, like psil- is that psilocybin? Like what is exactly. that? Exactly. If you haven't had a, any mushrooms, you must put that on your goal list. Oh. It's on your to do list. Have some really, yes. really, yes. You know, our classmate, Corby Marshall, has a whole uh, business plan around psilocybin and treatment for PTSD and for like um, uh, basically like the medical benefits of, of psilocybin. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it's actually like, I mean, there's this big push to try to get the VA to legalize it as, a, as an actual treatment for PTSD. I, 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 I know enough to know that I don't know enough, but I just... Mm. I, 
It's the way to the source, man. If you want to see into the source, have some some shrooms and you're there. <laughs> yeah. I see you. Uh, is it Monica? Monica Fox, Washington. She's going to be in London this weekend. Yeah. In, yeah. yeah. Moni Fox is going to be there. Yeah. So you. I see. Keith Brown's here. Kurt. Oh. No riding motorcycles. Mo- Moni Fox, you know, she, she, she's a motorcycle. She, she was talking on the podcast about she rode a motor, motorcycle, a ball 50. Do you know what a ball 50 is? No, no, no. That means 150 miles an hour. Oh, man. Damn. And, and That's like you, being on a rocket, man. You just strut to a rocket. Yeah, yeah. She actually got pulled over. But so ball 50, you can't go ball 50 in London on the wrong side of the road because you'll, you'll end up... Uh, you can't you can't think fast enough <laughs> oh man that's mad 150 miles an hour i don't think i don't think i've been in a car going that fast i've been over a, a hundred maybe a 120 but 150 good god almighty on a motorcycle yeah it's flying i was on uh well you go to like china or other places where they have those maglev trains and they go like 400 kilometers an hour so what is that that's uh 240 miles an hour that is super fast that's I mean, ridiculous yeah it is ridiculous it is there's ridiculous. jeff jeff how you do oh jeff's got the he put the mushroom sign up there jeff yeah, knows what i'm talking about jeff Simpson. Then, huh? all right all right we got some <laughs> yeah my my um my first trip on the mushrooms was in amsterdam and we were on a, a family holiday we were gonna go we were essentially we were camping around Europe. So threw the kids in the van, had the old sat nav, and we were gonna just hit every sort of country in the sort of Western Europe. But first stop was Amsterdam. And I was like, yeah, I'm gonna have some some shrooms. And you know, you go into the place and it's all very civilized. A guy talks to you and asks you what kind of trip you wanna do. Have you ever done it before? Um, and you know, just kind of, if it's your first time, they give you something that's not gonna, you know, send you too loopy. But um, I can't even remember. In fact, I've got the thing somewhere around here, but the one that I had um, and I had it. And then it was like uh, the thing that happened for me on that trip is I remember that space just got bigger. So we were in a tent, but it felt like I was in the Astrodome and sounds were (laughs) heightened. I could hear everything. And I was like, wow. And it was and then everything was just funny. But the one thing I would say, you, you definitely have to have somebody with you who's sober because they got to a point, because I could hear everything, I then started to doubt whether I was hearing the voices or were the voices in my head. And I couldn't tell the difference. So I was starting to freak out because I just couldn't stop hearing all these different people talking and everything as they are. But it was, it was fascinating. <laughs> definitely a fascinating experience. And that whole um the space expansion of space was just very trippy had you ever done it before no that was my it was my first time so my wife was my guide um so she was uh kept me from going <laughs> too far after and going insane from thinking of these voices because i could just hear literally everything i hear crickets birds people talking ah the voices um but yeah and then like yeah, like i said it got to the point where i couldn't tell whether they it was real or not real voices, so that was driving me insane. And were your kids with you too? Yeah, but they were asleep. I know that's yeah. bad parenting. So any new parents <laughs> out there, don't go tripping with your kids. But they were they were asleep, but they were, I mean, they were young and like I don't know, young young age, um, seven, eight, something like that. I don't know, but they were asleep. Wow, um, that's fascinating. So, yeah, so give me, tent. give me some more about the here and now. So your kids that were seven and eight, they're now 
Yeah, so my son, I think, is turning 27 next month. No, in, a, in, a, in May. My daughter's turning 25 or, yeah, 25 in February, uh, in the Feb. So, yeah, so son is uh, in the British Army, um, which is an interesting thing in and of itself. So he, um, he went to uni and, and studied um, documentary photography and photojournalism. But when he came out, and I don't know what's with the, the kids today. I mean, I guess I did the same thing. But anyway, so he came out and he hasn't touched the camera since he graduated. And then he spent two years working in the pub. And then he just came home one day and said, oh, I need a challenge. So I just kind of, you know, kind of as, yeah, why don't you check out the sort of army website? Um, and then he went on and found something that looked his interest, got himself in shape and signed up, which was cool. It was good. It was a good one. It was a good for him. One, just to watch him go from being a really skinny dude to putting some beef on. Um, and actually having a lot more sort of discipline and, and oomph about him. And it was yeah. good to be able to have stories to um, different armies, but, you know, being a soldier is being a soldier, isn't it? So he could finally relate and we could have a conversation at a different level. Do they have any, like, uh, interesting, like, uh, concepts, like hurry up and wait or, like, you know, or... Uh... Like just the the yeah yeah let's very go paint, similar let's, stuff. Let's go paint yeah. the rocks in front of the first sergeant's uh, office and paint yep. it again, paint a different color and yeah yeah, 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 stuff. yeah. That's what the stuff he's living through right now. <laughs> so, yeah, <laughs> yeah often rearranging something. And he's but I always you know because that was an infantry man for me. So for me he was a he's a not it was is he's a rim isn't he? So um so I give him a hard time that you know you know yeah he's not really having can't have it that hard especially because not only is he um you know a geotech uh, rimf guy but he's assigned to an air force base come on that's not really working is it <laughs> so he so he, he's he's in the army he's uh it, it's like uh rear echelon and yeah. at the air and at the air force yeah that's and an air force base yeah. Fishy, yeah 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 air force base so yes, he's a um, a sapper. I don't know what the equivalent of that is. Yeah, sapper's no remf. That's not a remf. A sapper no, 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 is no, like that, an engineer. That, like the... yeah, that's it. That's it. So he had to, yeah, he did sapper school and all that sort of stuff. But he's not in that unit. He's now oh, okay. geotech unit. But as part of his training, he was combat engineer. Then he had to okay. do the sapper school. Then he did um, a bunch of other stuff to get him ready for the geotech stuff. Now he just makes maps and things like that. That's what they they do. Yeah, that's mm. cool. Hey, yeah, so yeah. the the your your walk up song, like a stone. The, any uh, story behind that song? Why you chose that song? What what does that mean to you? Or looking at the lyrics, trying to figure out like yeah. how to just fly. It's um, it's it's if I was picking, and it's hard because I love music. Um, to pick you know a song, let alone you know your top ten favorite songs, but to pick a song, but. That one is um, there's so much things that resonate with me just from the the beat and the the, the, the tonality and the like. But it was the lyrics, um, very existential tone to it. And I consider myself uh, an existentialist. And when I just heard that song for the first time, it just kind of connected with me. And I, I mean, I listened. I mean, I could probably go on Spotify and tell you how many thousands of times I've listened to this song. <laughs> but it's uh, yeah. Yeah, it's great. And I don't know if you know much about the band, but it was uh, 
Chris Connell from um, Soundgarden and then Rage Against the Machine, the instrumentalist in that, so Tommy Morello and Tim Comfort. So they came together and formed this band, Audio Slave, and it kind of pissed me off because they only did two albums, really, and they did this first one, Like a Stone, um, and then they did a second album, but then they just got into that, um, you know, whose name appears before whose name on the credits, and it's like, come on, really? So they kind of broke up um after that um so i wasn't too happy when they did that greg mcgarver just said you can't smoke a stone that's why that's why you're, yeah. you're like a stone <laughs> can't smoke a stone yeah exactly yeah. man you can't smoke yeah. me jill sergeant i haven't heard that term in the world yeah so so um tell me about um oh yeah no no come on so i, I forgot about my daughter i can't just talk about my son and I oh yeah yeah, yeah. Too, yeah. Oh, so tell me about your daughter this, go, go yeah, tonight, she'll be she'll get upset <laughs> she'll think that he's like the favorite uh, uh so my, my uh, daughter is um what the hell is she uh, she's a assistant buyer at audi which is a german supermarket chain it's kind of big over here in the in the uk um, and again she went to uni did neuroscience but when she graduated decided wanted nothing to do with neuroscience um, and then just kind of you know, did they work at JB Sports, childcare, that kind of stuff until far, she worked in the COVID lab. They built these super labs. And uh, so she was doing testing uh, in this, the COVID space until she sort of found this role. And actually, this is the first job she's had post uni, university, where she um, doesn't complain about. She actually enjoys the job, which is good. I was worried for a while because she didn't seem to uh really settled down and i think she was a victim of she's a oh so my son is an underachiever and she's a classic overachiever and a perfectionist um so i was kind of concerned for her in that sense because she everything has to be perfect for it it wasn't you know, I've tried to explain to her life isn't perfect and it's, it's a series of ups and downs and, you know, she goes into these places of work and they're not doing the things that right. So that drives her nuts and it's like, oh yeah, you're going to have to um, ease back on the perfectionism bit because it'll just drive you nuts in the end. She's gotten better at it, but uh, yeah, they're total opposites, underachiever, overachiever. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what, I don't know how that happens. I think anytime you talk to a classmate like you and I are talking who have kids around the same age, you eventually, once you kind of kind of break through the veneer of uh, bravado and you get to be more vulnerable and intimate, you begin talking about your concerns. The number one concern, I think, for all of us who have like young, like adult kids is parenting them. You know, it's like, uh, you know, post-COVID, you know, technology, whatever, that is the number one concern. I think the number two concern is aging parents, right? But number one concern is how do we, how do we do the right thing showing up as parents for our kids, you know, mm. uh, in this, in these. Uh, it's, a, it's a crazy time, isn't it? It's a crazy time. Geopolitical stuff is technology is, is mad. Um, I see Tony remembers our time in uh, rock swimming. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like a stone, right? Yeah, That's why like your song's stone. like a stone. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah. Oh, dude, that rock swimming. So I'll circle back to where we were at. Um, um, I just, he just making me think about rock swimming because I sucked at swimming, dude. Absolutely 
it sucked. <laughs> so it was hard. And I remember doing that. We had to tread the water. And for however long we had to. And as soon as they said stop, I just sunk to the bottom and laid on the ground. I didn't even care to get up. <laughs> I was just like, I was just done. Laid on the bottom of the pool, not even wanting to move. Didn't even care to breathe anymore. After you know, that. I had Mike I had Mike Mayweather on this podcast. He was saying that was his number one most difficult thing at West Point. It wasn't the academics. It wasn't mm. physical fitness. It wasn't, you know, competing for Heisman. It was getting through rock swimming. That was his number one thing. Yeah, oh, dude, it was, oh, it sucked. It did, absolutely. But yeah, so where were we at before I sidetracked this? <laughs> uh, no, we were just talking about the challenges kids, of, of challenge, parenting, yeah. parenting these young kids. And I, I'll give a little plug Yeah, but here. so listen, listen, do, do you, so this is a, you know, for all the sort of parents out there, it's a, it's a tough one. Like it's how much guidance do you give? How much do you let them figure out the world for themselves? Um, and I don't know, do, you know, I certainly recognize it in mind is like, you can, you've kind of, been around the block and you want to pass on those things to them but i think because it's coming from you it doesn't necessarily they don't, it doesn't necessarily land at least not initially i think i start to see it come back around now after that initial kind of resistance break free from you know, dead or whatever um but yeah it's like one of those do you say okay this is what you're going to do and you plan their whole life out of it and send them down the path or do you say you know here's here's the road it's open for you support you and whatever it is that you do and then just kind of hang and, and watch yeah i get i mean we figured it out right we the latchkey latchkey uh generation you know we're just parents open the door and say just go out and have fun and come back when the street lights come on like we like like maybe this is a little bit of a well, they don't do that anymore we start. i didn't do that for well, as i would have done it but my wife is too soft and protective <laughs> but so yeah because i remember that exactly you know it was my only guidelines as a kid was go outside you know don't get in trouble as in with the police and the like and be home before dark and that was it and you know i always say to people my mom would absolutely be uh she would if she knew the places i went to and the things i did when i was outside the house she would be mortified if i had ever gotten an accident or something happened and got hurt no one would have known what to find because i was all into this adventure stuff so we would be in the woods i'd be i'd be 20 miles away from home um with nobody knowing where the heck i was and we'd be deep in the woods hunting rabbits oh man we just it's ridiculous. Um, but I just loved being outside. I hated being inside, you know. I wasn't an inside baby. And I can't get my kids to go outside. My son has a T-shirt uh, that says, I've been outside, but the graphics ain't that great. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I used to say, get outside, man. Go outside, play. But they, no. I, my daughter is turning 18 in a couple of weeks and her friend just turned 18. All of her you know, high school buddies are turning 18. One of them had a shirt the other day. that said, um, uh, I'm an adult, but not a real adult. Oh yeah. <laughs> there adult you go. Man. Yeah. Oh, I see another rock swimmer. Scott was a, a fellow rock swimmer as well. Most stressful class for him. He said, yeah, Chris Farrell, no, a fighting cock. Chris, how are you doing, buddy? I haven't, uh, I don't think I've seen your name come up on my Facebook world in ages. Yeah. Speaking of Facebook's Clay, so Clay, Facebook is really your primary connection to our class 
to to our classmates. You have not been back to the U.S. since when? I've not been on U.S. soil since 2005. October 2005 was the last time I was home down in Georgia to visit my mom, but that's the last time I was in country. And prior to that, I hadn't been in the country for like four years. Um, so, I mean, I have, I have absolutely, my only understanding of the states now really is what I get through the media and on Facebook. I've just not been on the ground in ages, man. This is, so really, out of the last 20 years, you've only been in the U.S. for a few days. Yeah, basically. I think I came for about a week. I won a, a flight. Uh, first thing I ever won, I won a, a free flight. I had to fly from uh, Iceland to Boston. Uh, and then I took a Greyhound down to Georgia because I was thinking, well, I'm in the country. I want to see, get back in touch with the country again. Because I hadn't been, I hadn't up until I came in uh, 2005. It had been a long time since I'd been to the States. So it's I decided I'd take the Greyhound from Boston to Augusta just to see the place again. And it was interesting. <laughs> if you want to, have you ever traveled by Greyhound long distance? I did, yeah. After nine eleven, I did. I got All stuck right. in Mexico, and I took a Greyhound bus uh, for part of the way back home. You meet some interesting characters, don't you? I mean, for sure, for sure. Yeah. I mean, my my nine eleven story is crazy because I got on a I got on a Greyhound bus in Brownsville, Texas, and then we drove it like another I don't know, like an hour or two. It gets stopped, boarded by the customs police, and they pull like half the bus off the off of the um off the bus, like. Mm. You know, pull pull people off for being illegal. I guess you know, it was bizarre. Man, it was crazy because I and because it's a long flight, a uh, long haul. You're constantly changing buses at different places. So I was getting different people sitting next to me, and man, it was uh, it was a that was almost as trippy as mushrooms. Let me tell you that <laughs> for sure. Down. The bus people, the bus people. Yeah. I, I have a diary. I kept a diary of, of that trip, um, and I have to dig it up again because there was some great conversations I had. Go Cox, Farrell, Chris is saying absolutely. Go yeah. Cox. You stand direct and keep on coming. You can't say that kind of stuff anymore, can you? No, no way. Yeah. No way. <laughs> you can't. Oh, you get roasted for sure. Saying yeah. anything like that anymore. Yeah. Awesome. I didn't know that was the motto. Was that the motto? No, it was Go Cox. That was a, yeah, it was Go Cox, but our unofficial bit was the other piece. And there we kind of added to it. But, uh, no, you, you can't say those kind of things these days. Yeah. You might have to, you might even have to exit out of your podcast. You might have to Not go. with my, yeah, my, my little baby girl going to West Point. I don't think so. No, <laughs> Chris Farrell said he took the Greyhound from East St. Louis to Scranton, PA, en route to home from Korea. Uh, wow, yeah. that's a long one. <laughs> yeah, now that's again, it, it's, it is. If you haven't, I don't know, I mean, maybe it's changed. I have no idea. I doubted it, it's changed, but um. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's worth it getting on the Greyhound. But go with, go with the mind of meeting all the interesting characters that you can meet on that trip. So yeah, we yeah. were, you and I were talking on the pre-call because you've been back and forth. You've got these different observations about, about us, you know, the, the, the kind of community and society of the United States and what that's like versus being in the UK, whether it be from the way that people approach work, uh, you know, your experience with uh, being a person of color in, in the U S versus the UK, um, your accent, right. So you know, like you're, you're, UK folks 
talk to you about having an American accent and we mm. can detect a, a slight kind of British accent in you. So you're kind of in between. Tell me, tell me about that. Like what, like, and going back and forth, it kind of thinks, it makes me think about the Greyhound experience as well. Like inter, inter, interacting with people, like what's, what, what are your observations? Oh man, it's, um, I'll tell you when I first came over to the country, of course it's, you know, it's always, a, I mean, it wasn't my first, so coming to live here wasn't my first time being here because my wife is British because we never talked about my wife either. So yeah, so um, we can get to that story, but my wife is uh, from Bristol, England. I uh, met her when I was at the academy. So I, it wasn't my first time. When I came to live here, it wasn't my first time being here. I used to come here for Christmas and things like that on on leave from, from the army. But coming to work here and having worked for General Electric and Merrill Lynch and then my first time coming to work here and, and five o'clock came and there was nobody around. And I was like, what the hell is this shit? Where is everybody? <laughs> but it was just a culture of, 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 uh, you know, it was, a, so it's more, it was more uh, relaxed, whereas I was very much more used to, um, you know, the sort of go get it attitude, you know, just kind of working 80 hours, uh, getting paid for 40 hours, that kind of mentality. Um, and so it was quite strange here. It was also quite strange to, you know, first, you know, you've started in a company and you start off with 35 days of holiday versus, you know, five days when I started at General Electric and had to work for six months or whatever it was to get an additional five. And then you had to work for 30 years to get more than 10. And whereas it was like, you know, here's your 30 something odd days of holiday in addition to all the bank holidays and things that they sort of have so you know that was kind of weird for me yeah i was you know i was like man okay and i had to i had to sort of adjust fire as it were to kind of blend in with that and the other thing was the drinking culture here you know going to the pub at lunch and drinking pints of beer i was like damn and um, but they it's, well that's kind of you know, that's kind of that's not like Unlike the U.S., I don't think, right? Is it? Oh well, not not where I worked. General Electric, really? Merrill Lynch, no way, man. Oh, you mean like with your colleagues getting getting yeah, yeah, yeah. up with your colleagues? Oh, okay. But yeah. but coming back to work, not not finishing work and going to the pub and hanging out, going for lunch, having some pints, and then coming back to work, um, was a a thing that I was not used to and not used to drinking before eating because their pubs close at 11 here mm. so they go out and do all their drinking before they eat mm-hmm. they make that adjustment so just small things like that and then of course just the you know the words pants versus trousers all those kind of things that people used to be laughing at my expense when i was speaking american as opposed to speaking english <laughs> um so yeah so you were saying also like youth sports are not the same there right yeah so the whole sort of sports culture um is different i mean in the states right you know we have you know even from junior high on up you've got your sports teams for each of the junior highs and you're traveling around and playing other other junior highs and other high schools and that sort of thing but here um you know there's none of that i mean they do have you know big into their football and cricket but that's clubs outside of school so there isn't a there isn't a um, a culture of high schools playing high schools and that sort of thing in any kind of competition wise like that. It's just stuff that you do 
outside of 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 the curriculum but so i, I would think i mean like i think about soccer like soccer or football like yeah. um you got to start these kids young to be able to compete at that level like like you know manchester united or whatever like those they must be having these feeder schools and like kids at like eight nine ten years old like running like crazy doing they like, have the clubs yeah they have the yeah, clubs okay. so don't you join the club and you're like you know if you wanted to play rugby we've got our uh southern rugby club or football you know so you join those kind of things and you play through that space mm -hmm. versus playing at your i mean they'll they'll do sports you know have a sports you know phys ed but not you know not teams you know there's no high school with its own football stadium uh here you know that kind of thing is um you know not there and and i think just academically i still don't really understand um the nature of how their academic system uh works at you know sort of under the university kind of level it's a it's a strange animal i just opted out of all that so more parenting skills 101 just opt out yeah how about how about the other question i was asking about like being a person of color in the yeah. united states versus in the uk like how has that shown up for you either differently or the same or what, what what's been your experience with that so my experience is it's, it's been very different um and while there is you know there's racism anywhere that you go there's racism here but it's not it's not um what phrase can i say it's, it's, it's kind of yeah it's not it's not kind of as uh, overt might not be the word like i don't feel it here but mm -hmm. certainly it depending on where i was in the states i could feel it um i could notice it um a lot more um you know i was telling you you know about my experience you know me and my dad and, and then in new jersey you know going into a bar walking in just like out of the movies everybody stopped talking music stopped playing and you know people were looking at us like you know what are you doing here and of course we didn't stay even though we had the right to stay we just kind of eased on out and, you know and and sort of left that sort of place and um and i've i've had you know i've had i mean in fact i remember this is going way back now this is going so again going back to uh, I was a kid, um, and my friend, one of my best friends, was white, and we were in his neighborhood. This is uh, Ocean Grove, I think. And Ocean Grove, his, Ocean Grove, New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. And, Ocean uh, Grove. Okay. Yeah, and his mom had parked. She left something in the house, so she, like, she just double parked, and I was in the car, and she, um, uh, and they went upstairs and I was just in the car, uh, by myself waiting for them to come back down. And the cop came and he goes, you can't have that car there. Um, and I was like, okay. And he's like, you need to move it. And I'm like, but I can't drive. He's like, I don't care. You need to move it. And it's just started escalating. You know, I was only like 13 and he was getting irate that I would not get out and get in this car and move it and even with me explaining that you know i'm 13 don't have a driver's license can't drive not my car and all he could say was don't care you need to move this car and it started and luckily she came and when she did because it was starting to get ugly and i'm like well, what am i doing i was in a rock and hard place here i don't know how to drive i got this angry dude um yelling at me telling me to to sort of move the car 
You look like what you had you, some some words. Uh, anyway, what, what if you just hopped in there at 13 years old? And, <laughs> oh, but I got screwed again. <laughs> <laughs> neutral, neutral dropped it into into low gear and just took off. That been pretty pretty yeah. pretty wild. But yeah, so I mean, like here's you know, I don't feel it as such. Um, there's a lot more sort of. Um, you know, sort of interracial couples and that sort of thing, interracial families. Um, yeah, yeah but it, it does exist. I can't not say that it doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I've had an experience at a garden center here once, uh, which is very rare, once in the whole time that I've been living here. Um, and, you know, the dude, you know, everyone was coming out of the joint. Um, with their bags and for some reason i had to be pulled aside and oh we need to see the content huh why um how can we not check in these people's bags and it was one of those kind of things it's like you know i have all these people coming out of here with bags on their backs you know what's going on sort of in this little space so yeah it, it does exist but it doesn't it doesn't feel as oppressive i guess um and again that i say that and it just depends on where you are in the states, and you know there's a big difference from the sort of south and north, and um, and and here's here's the thing. I came back when I was was it when I was I think it was it wasn't that trip, but one of the I went down to North Carolina with my grandmother, and she was taking me to, and this is me, and you know I can understand why it's going to just take us even more generations to maybe get past that. And we were walking down the street and she was like, you know, when I was a kid, I couldn't walk down this street, go to that street, get home, you go down here. Yeah. So, you know, she was, it's still, it was still a living memory for her um, in terms of how bad it was. Um, And then I went to this family reunion and then you listen to the adults and, and, and how they were talking and the sort of racist language. And I'm like, and there's like little kids around. And I was like, you know, Oh, you know, because kids only take what, you know, it's getting this stuff from their, you know, their parents, you know, and it's like, um, like I wouldn't take my kids to one of these family reunions because it's like, you know, how is it ever going to change if the adults are that way and the kids are in their impressionable age, just take that in and that becomes what their belief is. And so how do you, how do you change it? How does that? go away until it's you know i guess just more generations to pass where we can sort of get past that sort of story or that narrative and and i know it's getting better but i don't think we're there and then when you start getting you know very and you see it you when we we can know we don't want to talk politics but think about the populist governments around the world and the resurgence of that and then how you know, here in the UK, where this, you know, the whole sort of immigration thing, and you know, it becomes, um, it becomes a dividing point again to say, all right, well, you don't look like me, you don't belong here, and then you complete the cycle again. So, yeah, there is, I think, a similar immigration aversion in Europe as there is here as well. I mean, there's, there's an issue. There's, 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 there's people that are in these oppressed areas of of the world that need to move out of those areas because they're just hostile. Right. So like, so are you fine? Do you find that as well as there that there's maybe like anti-immigration 
sentiment. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 you have. I mean, you have uh, the sort of you know the sort of anti-immigrant immigrants and the um, you know the yeah the whole sort of the taking our jobs that kind of narrative um, that 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 happens. Um, yeah, and 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 just as some folks are saying in the in the in the chat here, some of it you know depends on kind of where you are geographically in, in a country to be so much different because as I said like you know my experience in the in the state so that bar incident but then I was equally as I, I think I told you in the pre-call I went to somewhere on the Juliana River in Pennsylvania and we were taking some disadvantaged views on a canoe trip and we'd stop and these farmers let us sleep in their barn and they gave us milk and all that sort of stuff and then me and uh, there was like three of us um, and our senior group leader let me and the other guy go into town and we go into this place and then everybody was like because i'd never seen a black person in real life before and they were so excited they, i didn't buy a drink that night everyone was buying me drinks other people wanted to dance and it was just a we just had an awesome time so complete opposite experience to my sort of you know bar incident so was that by the way just i know that we're going yeah. to come back to this but you, you mentioned working with opportunity youth was this was this your one year at West Point that you were like you had your break year? Is that is that what my you, break, I like how you put that? My break year, my year I got suspended. Yeah, your your um, <laughs> my break your gap yeah, year. Your gap I decided year, your West to take Point my gap, gap year. year. Yeah, Chris <laughs> Farrell might remember this story, but yeah. So um, yeah, so you know I, I graduated in '92, so I didn't graduate with, with you guys because I got suspended for you all the way through all three years and. To spend it, spend it at the end of uh, of cow year. cow year, yep. Um, and it was so I had got the, my car, um, bought it from a first, the had the first class sticker in it, so I was parking it in the um, in the lots in the first class lots. And but I was come back from leave, and we can tell the bread story, breadcrumb story later, but coming back from leave, and it was one of these small decisions to make and it was you know do i park my car before formation or after and and i decided i was going to go and park it before but it was right when the flag uh had came down so you know you got to stop and get out of the car so do all that sort of stuff then i got back in and just as where, i was where were you where you where do you remember where on west point you were when this happened exactly like, i was right i was right where the flag comes down as i stopped right there right by this by the corner where the suits right house there. is and the uh the, sylvanus yeah. thayer statue the b navy tunnel you're right there so yep and then the, i was letting the guys go across and then this as i pulled off the mps waved me down he's like you're going a bit faster weren't you and i was like how could i be going fast and i was at a dead standstill and and so was, and then he was like oh and whatever that exchange was it was like I don't see how I could be speeding if I'm at zero and you're crossing the street and I'm just getting ready to start going. So anyway, that happened. And so he wanted to turn me into the central guard room and his partner's like, no, 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 let's just let him go, let him go. And, and then they called it in and this sergeant of the guard on the radio was like, oh, yeah, just let him go. But this guy was adamant. I got to turn him in. Um, and so he did. And in that space and then you know you get the sort of pressure panic and i was just like oh where's the car i was like oh yeah I park it um in the p lot um and then you know you know we you know we have you know we do our honor 
know, very serious. And so it really ate at me that I said that afterwards. And I think the, and Chris might remember this, is we were having a um, company, a company luncheon or whatever it was. And it was at that, and it just, just stood up. And so I turned myself in essentially, but I did it publicly to all the folks well, that I kind of- well, hold, hold on one space. second, hold on one yeah. second, just to back it up. So you had to say where so you're borrowing the first his car, which you're allowed no, to no, borrow. I bought, I, I bought the car from him. So, you know, well, you we, bought, it was yeah, your own car. Yeah. We got the whole loan thing, didn't we? Yeah. So you bought the car. Thing. So you own this car. I owned the car. It was Camaro, my first car ever. Camaro. Oh, so you were parking, but did it still first, have the first his sticker on it? So you correct. were, so you were yeah. representing that you, that yes. you were firsty yeah. when you in fact were not. And that's what you. And, and you said whole, I parked in a pilot. Yeah, yeah. Right, exactly. I got you. Yeah, got you. So, and then you turn uh, yourself in. Yes. And okay. Kind of, kind of just went from from. Uh, yeah. So Chris says that uh, he did. He does remember. Um, and uh, yeah. So it was that was that was that was the gig. So how did you come? Clean? You said you were like you're in a company luncheon or something. Like what? What was the? How was? The, how was it that you just decided is eating away well, at me? I. I yeah, yeah. No, we were. We were just there, and it was. You know, I. Yeah, you. You spent three years being drilled with and and you know without you know and, and really living those words you know not like you... cheating still and the like, um and so yeah and then. So I felt that sort of internal guilt having said that so at this point i had you know it was just going to be a disciplinary thing wasn't it for you know for um that's all it was going to be at that time but then so yeah and it just the guilt for me was just uh too much and so and i didn't i just felt it important to just to say to let everyone know that was in the because you know people put your trust in you and, and the like and our word is everything and that stuff so um i just so then so then you have like do you have an honor board for that or like what happens as a result of that um yeah everything was expedient in the sense that there was a, a need to do lots of investigation and i suppose I, I mean i don't remember the whole details of how that went down although that i do somewhere around here have a huge ass binder um, of the of the whole of the sort of um, proceedings and um, yeah, so you still go through that whole sort of process, which culminates to you know standing in front of the soup, and then all these people around you, the soup, your tack, and you know I'm just this. Well, uh, hold on, I want to I want to <laughs> build to this moment. For, I mean, th th this is fascinating, and you've given me permission to kind of go. Yeah, yeah no, go for it, man. So thank go. you. So because it's a um, but so you. You turn yourself in. You have yeah. probably a modified honor board or something. Because you say, "We, well, you know, I said that I, I, you know, I lied." Which, you know, um, I think given the circumstances, I would almost characterize that as a pop-off answer. Like, you know, you're being faced with this, but well, I mean, good on you to be so um, to be so thoughtful and have this, you know, raise this issue. Uh, and so then you you turn yourself in. There's this. What was it? A, what, did you have like a trial of your peers at, at any point? Did you have to like face other cadets and say, you know, I don't, I don't remember if they did the trial thing. I mean, there was a bunch of people in and out and getting statements and stuff like that, but I don't, I don't recall doing a, a thing before. So I, I remember the incident 
I remember, um, you know, just your, your honor rep and, and the like and having those conversations. And I clearly remember standing in front of the suit and all these guys standing for me, but the rest of the stuff are die. So, I so I, um, this is at the end of second semester of Cal year, right? Yeah. So you have to turn in papers. You're finishing the semester. You got to like oh, finish sucks, classes, man. all that stuff, right? You have yeah. all this cooking around in your head and you're trying to do all that. Yeah. And did I, you... and, but I kept the tradition alive. I did fail a course. So I was needed to go. You know, I was go on, to STAP. You had to go I was to on STAP. course for STAP. Yeah. So I went to STAP all three years. Um, there. So I, I want to just, I want to just back this up. If there's anybody that has like the complete full West Point experience, it's you. Right, because you went to the prep school, yeah. right? You do four, you do four years at West Point. You get the gap year, which is we're going to talk about what you did during the gap year. You get a gap year, and then um, you did staff three, three, um, th three times, right? Oh yeah, baby! Wow. <laughs> hold on, wow. hold on a second. Hold on, hold on. Stay there. I found, uh, I don't know where the third star is, but I got my stat star still. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, so that was MA208, that one, mm -hmm. and MA101. Wow. Yeah, math kicked my ass, man. The whole, um, yeah, man. So be, before we move on to stop, I want I want to <laughs> read what Chris Farrell wrote. He said, what you said to our entire company during that luncheon and the cadet mess regimental room was very emotional um certainly for you for foremost but we all felt for you i know that i did for sure so um i mean what an example i think what an example of of just extreme integrity to to raise that issue uh you know i i um you know i'm, I'm just i'm in awe actually and to think like you had everything on the line there so then so then they they you we're not clear on the process, but it, it, it culminates with you going to the superintendent, right? Yeah. So are you, what, what uniform are you in? Are you like white over gray? Like, like <laughs> shining your shoes, you're getting your shit ready. You got to look square yeah. away for that thing. So right? I look square away. I don't remember what uniform I was in. Um, yeah. That again, that'll be one of those details. It wasn't, it wasn't emotional enough for me to remember the details. Just remembering the soup and staring at him and so it was wait, like, hold you know on. Are you, like. are you in, in his, his office? Are you in his office? You're in his office. So you you walk like. in, you report, sir, cadet, yeah, Clayton Lowe reporting as as required or whatever the requirement Something is. Something like right? that. I'll tell you what it felt like. If you remember Lethal Weapon, um, well, I don't know if it was number two, but with the South Africans and the one dude coming in, there's the plastic and they shoot him and wrap him up in the plastic and get him out. It felt like that because it was a soup there. Uh, and then these all the other officers around me, and I'm just standing there. So it felt like that kind of moment, like it was like, all right, well, execution, wrap them up in the carpet, and uh, so I wonder. So I wonder behind the scenes, have they made their decision yet? Like this is what we're going to do with this cadet, or do they? Like, did you get a chance to explain yourself right there? Like, I wonder what, like, what was happening behind the scenes there? They say, look, here's a cadet who's got extreme integrity, turned himself in, you know, like could have definitely moved on. We, we got it. We got to retain this guy. He's going to be an excellent officer, but how do we, I mean, I, I would think that's what was happening behind the scenes, but um, 
Like, was did your tack go to bat for you? Like, who else was in the room? Was it was your regimental tack? Like, what was happening? Yeah, so I know definitely my tack was there. Um, the rest I would just be guessing at uh, in terms of who else was uh, present uh, for that one. So then, yeah. do they have you say your piece? They excuse you. You're waiting out in the hallway while they're while they're talking. They come out and they say, "Hey, we're gonna give you a gap year." I mean, like, what happens? <laughs> Somewhere in there, uh, the soup. Either whether I spoke or not, I can't. I, again, I don't remember that bit. But I just I remember him saying, um, you know, just kind of reading through the the case, and then um, you know saying and he mentioned about the the lunch and so my tech must have told him about the that sort of that incident um and it's then he essentially said we're gonna suspend you for a year go away and think about what you've done and then yes sir and out the door i went and so now what about your uniforms and everything do you like just pack, put that up in storage like um what happened to the uniforms you know, again, don't. I know I still have no. my green girl, so I must have. <laughs> I had. I mean, like, do, do they have you do like the complete duffel bag drag? Like you're like turn all your shit in. You're gonna maybe come back, maybe not. Or is it this like put yourself up, put your stuff in storage? We'll see you. And I think it was put the stuff in storage. I spent some time in the those you know the transition barracks. I spent some time um, there. That's gotta suck. You gotta feel like you're like. Uh, Got like on death row letter. man yeah <laughs> yeah where is it where are the transition barracks i don't remember but they're in the barracks area it's just yeah, like those, yeah, uh, yeah 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 so you connect that maybe somewhere near washington hall maybe i don't know i don't remember oh, exactly where it was yeah so you're just kind of in there and it was just me uh on that in the on my sort of death row um and then yeah and then i was i was you know, like, you know, again, the sad, you know, didn't get to graduate with you. I mean, because it, it was one of those things, you know, you spend all this time with, with your classmates and, you know, as I said, like, you know, Chris and Nadia and all these folks that I went to the prep school with, you know, so, you know, you've been with folks for a long time. Um, you know, and again, I'm just was happy that, you know, that wasn't the end because it could have been, you know, the end of my sort of uh, military career right then and there. Um, of uh, Craig says that he thinks they were above the um, central guard room. Central guard room, yeah. Yeah, right. So they can keep an eye on you. Central guard room. Make sure that you're. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh, so so Kenneth is saying that uh, Joel Gray got kicked out for a year and came back in '92 too. So the thing is, when I came back, I mean, I was in C two when I came back, and you know, of course you. You know, you know, there was some people I would have known that were, you know, in 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 '92, and they liked it was in the company. But I didn't know, I didn't know people in the same way that I would know you guys at that point in time. But there was the December grads there, though, at that point. Like there was a good, yeah, a good. Was, no, but, yeah, yeah, but you didn't. This is what's surprising to me. I, I yeah. remember um, uh, Brian Mackey was talking about the whole December grad experience, like what that was like. It's a fascinating podcast episode to listen to about how like they would go off into um like comms hour and then then mm. then the december grads would just stay in the mess hall because they didn't have to go anywhere but that would have been kind of a, a i hope that they're doing something different with those with that crew of people now where they can have an identity as like a 
as like a half class, you know, like the, to really. Well, so that was just it. I was completely in 92 then, wasn't I? So it wasn't a half class for right, me. I guess, yeah. So yeah, for yeah. me, it was, you know, you're now. You had to go to comms hour. You had I'm to a, go there. I'm a firsty in C2. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did uh, uh, Buckner for that yeah. summer bit. So I came back, reported in, went to Buckner. As a, as a um, cadre. So you did that yeah. for your, so. Okay, so you show up for Buckner. Okay. Yeah, and do my thing. And then, yeah, it was just to stay out of trouble. I had to spend a year staying out of trouble, doing my thing. But, you know. What was um, your major? What you, would you major in there? History, military history. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, you know, my brain was completely fried going through that because I did fail my history exam right when all this stuff was going on, which, you know, history was easy for me, but the brain just was in a whole sort of another place at that points in time um, but i didn't have to go to i didn't have to come back to go to stat but just all that just got academic stuff just got rolled up into the classes that i took for you know, sort of the last year so uh, let's go back in time if you don't mind let's let's go to pre-1987 so just nadia is asking if i did i stay and connected with west point during that year now so for that total year was i mean i still got you know i still you know was suspended with pay um yeah went, oh, hold, yeah let, let, i'm yeah. sorry let's back to, you're suspended <laughs> with pay you're getting paid for a gap year like do, yeah. they, they don't west point doesn't know what to do with you like send him off on his way pay him for a year and then you're basically just a free man trying to figure out what to do right so what did you do for that year yeah so um i went down to jersey i didn't go down to georgia with my mom i went to stay in jersey where my dad uh lives and for the first I suppose the first sort of four or five months, probably more like four, I got a job working for a uh, a company in Old Town, Maryland. So near the West Virginia border, I guess it was. And it was with disadvantaged youth. So these were kids that were from 13 to 17, but they were like, you know, one stage from going to jail. They'd been in and out of detention centers and stuff like that for um for a lot and then this was like next step is you know we're locking you up and so the program was to bring these kids out into the wilderness essentially and um, they had to build their own living quarters so they built these big uh a-frame type lodges that they they, they built themselves um, and we you know worked 24 7 basically because yeah, I didn't, it wasn't like I finished at nine and go home. We stayed with them for 24 seven. So it was to be, um, you got your two sort of assistant group leaders and the, the group leader. And I was one of the assistant ones. So there was always two of us with the, our, our group at any one time. Um, and that was actually quite a rewarding experience because you, you know, if we talk about nature versus nurture and that sort of thing, but you know, they were bad kids in the environment that they, came from but within this environment you could see them start to be kids again and they still you know got into disagreements but one of the things that you know a part of this thing is that we weren't allowed to continue on any activity so so it's, if some kids got into a scruff or whatever uh, argument then we'd all have to call the council we sit around and they had to work out their feelings and this could take five minutes or it could take two days but in the, if it took two days, that meant you did nothing but eat, come back, sit in a circle until the two decided to speak. 
and then you know you would have uh, you know their mates would try to get them to talk and but anyway it was good for them to learn how to express their feelings in a different way than uh, say violence or, or that sort of thing um so, so were there tell me about the cadre that was doing this i mean first of all what an what a incredible formative experience for you during this year to, to to choose to do that like you weren't just you know hanging out drinking beers sitting on a beach you would you decided i'm gonna go do this this thing nobody made you do that um but w- was there a cadre like was there like i mean i can't imagine that they'd take you like a 21 year old kid and say develop your own kind of theory of change of how to work with these kids like was there like professional so to speak like like no, psychologist th- no yeah i think yeah i think like the big wigs whoever set up this camp maybe along those line but um as i said it was uh excuse me we had um so uh, there was probably five or six i guess we let's call them tribes yeah so there was the, mm-hmm. these and so and each one would have uh three leaders um, yeah, I didn't actually, you know, they didn't give me, any, um, unless they were just drawn on the fact of, you know, the sort of West Point experience and that kind of thing um, as a means of saying, okay, well, hey, yes. In fact, in fact, that was a plus, I think, because what, it was two things. And you asked me, you know, about the sort of, you know, being, you know, the whole sort of you know, being black and the like, I think for them, that was partly part of it to, you know, maybe being a role model to say, look, you can do other things besides going this way. Um, and then not to say that all the kids that were there were black, it was mixed kind mm-hmm. of things, but you know, just, so I probably relate it more to, they could probably relate more to me than they did to others of the counselors and the like, as it were. But yeah, so, I mean, the direct answer to your question is, I don't remember being sat down and saying, Hey, okay, here you go through these trainers, how you do, there were rules that we had to follow. A lot of it was around again, the conversations and how to and making sure that these kids worked out their feelings and, but they had to do things like, you know, once a week, they had to cook their own meals. I mean, they provided meals, but once a week they had to do their own, but they had to do the planning for it. We would take them into town. They'd have to buy the food. Um, and yeah, so it was good for them. And then we had that, that's where this Juliana, Juliana river trip, uh, took places, you know, once in the summer, they would go on, I guess like what we do in a National Guard type thing where you get your two-week training in the summer. So they went on a week-long um, adventure type thing, and this was a canoe trip that we took them on for a week. Um, uh, it, again, just different experiences for them. And even on the <laughs> – it was the longest canoe trip in my life because even on the – we were in the middle of the river, if you know, and you got kids in the boat. If someone started arguing – we had to pull over to the side, rally up the canoes and put them on a circle, and they would sit in a circle, we'd sit on a bank until they worked out um, their feelings um, in terms of what was sort of started the um, argument. Wow. Yeah. Good on you. Good on you doing this. Yeah. Let's, let's, but then, no, 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 let's not oh, make it too normal. All right. Okay. <laughs> you, I'm, I'm following you. I'm following you. Listen, you said it right there. I was like, it was about four months into this thing. And I was like, holy shit. You know, I've just come from an environment where I've have to be all disciplined 24. I mean, I worked, so we worked, you'd have two days off, but when you were there, you, it was 24 sevens. There was no time off 
during the week. Then you got 48 hours off and then you were back. And I was like, holy shit, I've been living in a regimented environment for three years. What the hell am I doing? So I, I left that and then I went uh, back to New Jersey and I worked as a, a fitness instructor for the remainder of my time there and then doing all the stuff that you said there. So I was assistant manager at some uh, spa, had the keys, so I could come in after we been out to the bar, hang out in the, in the hot tub and yeah, just do all the wild sort of stuff. So, so yeah, so I did have some time to have some wildness and yeah. Some good times. Some good times. And then I, I came back, then I got serious and came back. Well, and, I'm at a loss here because I want to, I want to also hear about when you came back, cause that's when you met your wife. So I want to go mm. into that story, but before we go to that, let's real, let's real quickly just tack back to pre 1987. What made you want to go to West point? Let's hear that story. And then we'll, we'll come back to this point in the, in the gap year story. So, yeah. So, um, well, my dad was in the Navy, so I grew up around military bases. Um, and he was a recruiter for a long time. So we were stationed at a lot of army bases. Um, so I was in that environment. And then I was, as I said, as a kid, I just loved being out in the woods and the whole adventure thing. And, you know, was all into, you know, let's go off and explore and, and discover and have these great adventures. That was, you know, my whole life was oriented towards, I want to have these great adventures. And so I, I had, my intention was to go into the military one, way or another. And then there was two other people at my high school at, at um, Monmouth Regional, uh, Mike Mason and Drew uh, uh, Driscoll. His first name, I forgot it anyway. Kevin Driscoll, that's it. Maybe? No. Anyway, so, and they were like, oh, we're going to go to West Point. I was like, oh, okay, that's interesting. So then I, you know, read up on West Point and said, okay, that looks kind of interesting. And um, But that was in New Jersey. And um, and at that point, it was still just army and adventure. And then my parents split when I was just getting ready to turn 16. I think I was uh, halfway through my senior year, I guess it was, or junior year. Um, and mom moved all the, you know, my sister and my brother, and we all moved down to Georgia, Augusta, Georgia. And in this high school that I was there, they had a junior ROTC. And so it was natural. Okay, yeah, army. I'm going to that. So I was in there. But then that, then my uh, tech and the NCOs, and we just, you know, I just kind of connected with them because the school I went to down in Augusta wasn't probably academically the best school ever. And so, um, in fact, it was probably years behind wherever I, my school in New Jersey because they ended up just putting me in all independent study classes because the curriculum was just not where it should have been or needed to be and, and instead of holding me back they just separated me academically from the rest of my sort of class um and then i guess my sort of tech and those guys kind of took me under the wing in that aspect and started pushing the west point agenda as well and so then i just applied um do that and it's like okay that would be cool do this thing and of course i suck at math so sat math kicked my ass were you uh, in a uh, rock math 
like did did you take the rock math class or did you go to regular regular starting math in, in at west point at west point yeah uh, we just went to normal math because I did the math. prep school. Yeah, because I did the prep school. Oh, yeah, I so, did the prep school. Yeah, yeah. So the SATs kicked my ass, and so, but so so I had to go to the prep school in order to. So it was you know you applied. No, nope, we think you should go to the prep school. Blah blah blah. So I had that year, and I got so to meet did. all the cool people, Craig and Nadia, and those characters. And Baxter. <laughs> and Baxter. Yeah, yeah. I got to meet all of them. Um, we had a good time at the prep school. Yeah. And it was back on my home turf because I, you know, I grew up in Fort Monmouth, New Jersey. So I was back at home. Right there. Yeah, turf, back yeah. home. So I was back above the Mason-Dixon line and I was happy. Um, and so, yeah, so I, you know, you know, did the prep school thing and uh, and then off to West Point. So I was, a, I was on the general patent plan, you know, it was going to take me five years to get through west point that was the very very best you yes, and general exactly <laughs> exactly so, so let's heroes. go let's go back to your to your after your gap year you you come back uh and and you meet somebody very special right yeah well see now you know this is the thing so you could you know have a bad thing a good thing happens and then it makes you think about you know is there you know is there fate um you know what is that is it a sort of pre predestination kind of thing going on here? Is it meant to be to be suspended? Because I had I not been suspended, and I would have never have met my current wife. And we've been married now what thirty some odd years now. So. But you call her your current wife, though. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just still working it out. <laughs> well, well, it's, you know, I, I always said it. Every know, day's a new day, right? Like listen, get, at some point in time, you work you gotta, on your marriage. You got to trade up for younger newer younger model oh <laughs> i don't know you want to listen to that <laughs> um so yeah so you know had i graduated that wouldn't have happened and of course i wouldn't be who i am now and the kids and all that sort of stuff so you know that story turned out um in the so how'd you meet her possible way. meet her at eisenhower um, what was the story yes yeah, so um i met her at um whatever our little firsty club was at the time and she was in there and this is, you know, this is me having a good time. Right. So I was with a different British girl. I need to lower my voice now. <laughs> so <laughs> anyway, I was with this other girl and then I saw Ruth and for that, however, I ended up speaking to her and I was like, Ooh, I like her better than this one. And so I, I was thinking, how am I going to work this? So only thing I could think of was to introduce them to each other. You know, them both okay. being from England. That so sounds complicated. Okay. It does. It was crazy. So then I did that. And I was like, now, how the hell am I going to work this? Now they're becoming friends, which wasn't my intent. So wait, hold on. So they were, they were au pairs, right? Is that what? No, well, one was an au pair. The other one was, I'm not sure what her status was and what she was um, doing. But, but, probably, but they're young. They're young. They're young. like what, teenagers, right? Like, yeah, they're 20. 19, 20. Okay somewhere in that right way. okay um and so that happened and i met her and i got her number but it was months before we actually ended up sort of uh connecting and and then and this is gonna yeah i mean it's gonna make me sound like a bad guy but here's the story <laughs> so i had a number didn't think anything of it uh for a while then um then i was i kept calling to ask her to, to go out and every time she had an excuse i think you know, one she's busy and then i called her about the third time i called she said i'm i'm um i'm 
I got to do my hair. And I thought, okay, well, that's just like classic movie stuff. Oh, I'm busy. I got to do my hair. So I thought, well, okay, that's an obvious sign that, you know, she doesn't want anything to do with you. She's saying she can't go. She's got to do so, her hair. By the way, let's, let's go back in time. You're calling yeah. her, right? You have to go yeah. down to the sinks to like, you're, you're using the old, uh, payphone there's no like cell phones or anything obviously yeah, yeah it's none of that kind of cool stuff but you say, <laughs> you're calling her now is she at like she's staying at somebody else's house because she's the au pair yeah so she was a au pair for two captains the belknaps if anybody remember them one taught history one taught systems engineering i think uh maggie so, belknap and uh howdy so they they became probably like your informal sponsors and well, no, well well howdy was okay with me maggie hated me and, really? Uh, <laughs> yeah, because I was taking that old pair away, away right. and going off and doing stuff on the weekends. Um, and the, I guess the old pair prior to that uh, was a German girl who just stayed in all the time. So she never went out, never went to meet people. Mm -hmm. so essentially had an au pair 24-7. <laughs> That's an interesting, the whole au pair scene there is an interesting little subculture, you know, mm. at, at West Point. And also like in Orange County, because you got all these, you know, fairly wealthy families that have like, you know, they have these au pairs or, you know, these nannies that are working there. And then they would come to West Point and then, you know, we'd be chatting them up, trying to, trying to, you know, get like a relationship going. It's just an interesting. You concept. stopped yourself from saying the words you wanted to say, didn't you? what yeah <laughs> hey, <they're> carry on <laughs> i saw the pause <laughs> no, you know you know i i so i have a, a nanny story so i met i met this young lady when i was a when i was a plebe at west point you know and so i like you know trying to be like all debonair you know and so i um i sent her flowers after i met her the first night i like we're, we're talking whatever i'm like oh this would be great i'm stuck at this freaking this freaking place, this rock. And so if I could have a local girlfriend, how awesome would that be? You know? Mm -hmm. So, so I'm like, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta land this, gotta land this thing. I gotta, gotta hook this fish, you know? So I send flowers to the house where she is. Right. Somehow I got her address. I don't know how. Right. And so then I call her up just to make sure she got the flowers. And then the, the, the dude answers the phone, like the, the dad of the yeah. family. He's like, God, that was a good move. You know, I send her the flowers. Like, you know, you probably, you know, smooth move there, you know, cadet Schlack. And it, it, this was a, like a local family. So then I'm like, when are you going to come back up? And she's like, Oh, you know, maybe like next week, maybe the following week, whatever. So then, um, you know, we're at Eisenhower hall, like bunch of nerds, you know, in our dress mm -hmm. grays, whatever. And they have like the separate area only for the plebs, like up on the top, you know? So she said, I might come so, such, such a weekend. I'm like, okay, cool. And then she's not there. I'm looking for, you know, I'm nervously playing like with my zipper on my dress gray, looking for this, this girl. I look over the balcony and I see her going into the firsty club, right? Like, uh, like she's going in. She was jilted. It's like, ah, oh. <laughs> I'm like, so. Jilted for a plebe, no less. Well, I know. I mean, who wants to be with a plebe when you get firsties right there? You can, you know, hang out. So that was exactly. over. She yeah, missed just, her officer and the gentleman moment. I just, didn't she? yeah, I just went back and I ate like a whole pint of Ben and Jerry's ice cream and just, you know, <laughs> wild away in my misery. Yeah. So now I gave up on meeting because that was the last straw for me. So I threw the number away and was done. Um, and then out of the blue, she called me on a Friday. Uh, and then that was it. And then we were, um, game on, there was game on then. And then, but we only went out that sort of one time. And then I was down in New Jersey at my parents' house, just 
I didn't go to my dad's house. I went to another girlfriend that I had that lived in Jersey. And then she was just being a cow that weekend. And I said to her, yeah, I'm going to go to the store and get something. And I hopped back in my car and drove all the way back up to West Point. That's how horrible she was being at the time. And then everybody else was gone. You know, everybody was out doing whatever they were doing for the weekend. And so um, I just found the number and called her again. And then that was that was the start. Then And that where we, yeah. So when did you get married? Um, we got married in 93. Now, I'm supposed to be able to answer that faster but yeah 93 may and i may of 93 i think so you were like so the obc thing in the army so she was she was an army wife you know you were army family yeah, for the yeah. first so, five years yeah yeah so yeah so we got married um shortly did she go to fort Bra- did she go to fort um fort benning with you no 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 we didn't get married until i arrived at my first unit okay so she was back in england at this time going to university um and then i got stationed first duty station was uh Kurt Scorings with first armor division but I was with 35 cav um and then yeah so then we got married that almost nearly upon me arriving there mm-hmm. um yeah and then and then that was that so was what was it like what was her family like like the whole idea of you know your your their daughter is going to be marrying some american service member and uh had that go over um, they seem to be, um, you know, they, they were all right with her mom. In fact, her mom came over to West Point to visit. Um, and I met her then actually, and she, you know, she must knew something was afoot if I'm going to brunch, you know, you know, Ruth is set up to start, and I met all three of them at brunch or the, yeah, the two of them at brunch. And so I think she went back home to England thinking that maybe this was a little bit more serious boyfriend that Ruth had in this instance. Um, so she wasn't shocked by it when we told them that we were, where'd you get married? Uh, like where? we got married in England. Yeah. Ah, cool. Uh, in her town and down end. Um, so yeah, so yeah, we got, that was it. Uh, no, Kenneth, I didn't go out to Bosnia. We went separate ways there of three, five K. Um, they went, uh, after I went off to uh, advance infantry school, Kurt Goins, yes, the rock, absolutely the rock. So yes, um, I didn't, um, 3-5 Cav left after I left um, in terms of the Bosnia gig. And yeah, so that was, yeah, that was, that was the, the sort of wife story. So yeah, 30 some odd years now and, and we're still sort of, Going strong. I see that. Your current uh, wife. Your, your current wife, wife of thirty years. Current, yeah, yeah exactly. right, I like that. Alex says he uh, he had a uh, a howdy for a course. He had his interesting story. Yeah, they had some interesting story. The the two belt naps, but yeah. yeah. Uh, um. Yeah. So yes. Yeah. Very cool. And so so then you got out. You got out of the five year mark, right? I did. Yeah. So. Um, so I did three five cav and then uh went to the advanced course and then we went to the tenth mountain division. So I was with the uh triple deuce up there, tenth mountain. Climb the glory. Yeah, baby. 
And uh, I love that area. And then when we first got there, it was summer. And I was thinking, oh, man, this if I get out, this is where I want to live. But then that winter came. And I was like, screw it's brutal. this. It's real. It's oh, real. Dude, it was brutal. I was like, I got to get the hell out of here. Um, so we didn't end up sort of staying there. But that was a hard decision. You know, that was probably one of the hardest decisions I think I'd made um in my life that would be one of them which gets out of the army again because you know i guess i took a lot of things to heart um in the sense that you know you're kind of bred to be winners and you don't quit and all that kind of stuff so it felt by getting out that i was quitting and i really struggled with that like nearly breakdown struggle with this decision to sort of get out um but persevered um with that and got out and went to work for Merrill Lynch as a lot of junior military officers do go into that kind of round. So I went to work for Merrill Lynch as a financial consultant and to sort of start off my sort of civilian career. Um, And that was okay. And then I left that to work for General Electric as a process engineer, manufacturing engineer for a season. And then uh, back to Merrill and then been in training and development ever since then. So, yeah. And so now you have your own practice, right? Your own coaching group. Yeah. So now I do the training consultant piece that I've been doing since uh, August of, I think end of 2020. No, no, 2000. Sorry. Yeah. So end of 2000, is when I went independent as a training consultant. So. As in 22 years ago, end of 2000. Yeah. Okay. No, so wait, been... shit. No, no, hold on. Let me get, let me, let me get. So I came here August of 2000. So it had been 2002. So yes, yeah, so I came here end of, in August of 2000. And I was with Maryland HSBC until I got it. Here it comes, 2004. That's it. Now I got it. 2004, I left full-time employed to go out as a financial or as a uh, training consultant. And that's what I've been doing since 2005, essentially, because I think I finished up to 2004 years. So who are your customers? Like who, 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 who hires you to come in? Yeah, so for a lot of, in the very beginning, was a lot of financial services, so HSBC, Prudential, those kind of guys. Um, I've done some stuff for the government stuff here. So working with MPs, um, some of the sort of charity sectors, uh, like the RSPB, the bird people. Um, then, yeah, I think a lot of those types of companies uh, I've been working with. Uh, was that how you met um, Prince Charles? Was through the bird people? You were working with some? No, I was doing another sort of, again, disadvantaged youth group. Um, and this was with the Prince's Trust. And they have a program where they help um, people who have been in you know bad ways and now trying to make their lives straight. They help them with the get their businesses set up. So part of that, they give them a business mentor. So I was a business mentor for a couple of uh, folks. Um, and cool. then once a year, uh, Prince Charles would get his group together and we would go down to the palace and have lunch, a garden party at the palace. <laughs> so that was interesting. And um, so, yeah, I got to meet I him. I happened to watch the, uh, 
I watched the uh, Netflix special or whatever, The Crown, and they actually right. talk about that that group that that uh, that that's actually profiled in one of the episodes. Like the actual, yeah, well, the, the fact that he's got this nonprofit that he's so passionate about. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's a good. I mean, that's a good organization, the Princess Trust. I mean, I, as I said, I was happy to be a, a business mentor for a couple of uh, you know new businesses. Uh, you know, and the two, and both of them. Well, it was interesting is one was actually a, a lady, but her boyfriend used to run everything. So that was kind of a strange in, uh, situation. But then the other guy, um, my other mentee, um, yeah, we just helped them to sort of navigate getting their sort of small business kind of going. Yeah. yeah. So, Clay, we're, we're, we're driving towards the end of the podcast. Can you believe we've been talking oh, for man, almost no, 90 minutes? On. I mean, there's so much with the Army. There's, there's so many things we haven't talked about. But... Um, you know, uh, I'll ask you one question, then I'll, then I'll ask you to hold the on. Question don't ask the question. Hang on to it, because Vince what? is on the line there. Yeah, he's, Vince. Yeah. He's supposed to have been coming to see me, and I know because I see you on Facebook. Yeah, I'm calling you out now that you've been over in the UK and you didn't look me up, man. I'm upset with you. So you just that's Vince Duk. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he's just over uh, across the pond in Paris. It's not that far away. Yeah. And anyway, before you ask your questions, well, anyone, if you come to the UK, give me a shout. Let me know you're here and let's try and see if we can uh, connect. And the ways to connect with you, uh, your email, clay at claylow.com. And you've also got these other podcasts, which are fantastic. To listen to Soul Cruiser, right? And yeah. your coach's notes, whether, like those are all available through the claylow.com website, right? That's it. Yeah. That's the easiest way to go. Go there, claylow.com. You'll connect to the other stuff there and i'm on twitter i'm on linkedin um facebook you know that kind of thing so i'm here man just let me know when you're coming in this way oh craig's gonna be here in may well let me know when you're gonna be here craig and you and i definitely definitely we have to catch up because you know we used to hang out quite a lot back at the prep school me and craig within the west point you know divided us all and sean him me him and sean kushner uh, cool. used to hang out Quite a lot, so it'd be great to see you if that can sort of work its way out. I'm heading across the pond at some point this semester. My daughter's going to Madrid. My older daughter's going to Madrid for the semester, so we're going to go hang out with her. I think at some point, if anybody's nice. out there in Madrid. So, um, yeah. Clay, this has been awesome connecting with you. I mean, you and I, we knew each other tangentially. We're in the same platoon at Buckner, and I was always so impressed by you and uh, your your, your attitude, your, your perseverance, you know, you're one of those guys that was, you know, volunteer to carry the 60. I remember like, you oh, yeah, wanted yeah. that thing. You that won that sense. thing. Yeah. <laughs> you got a good memory, man. And I think your life's about, about carrying that 60 stepping up, you know, kind of mm. leading, leading by example. I'm so impressed. And, you know, listening to your coach's notes, there's nuggets of wisdom that, that you give about whether it be new year's resolutions or, you know, how to basically um, uh, focus on goals. Just great stuff. I, I'm, I'm grateful for that too. I, I encourage people to listen to that. Um, so thinking about our class, where we are in our lives and our experiences to date and our futures, our, our bright, long futures in front of us, uh, what advice do you have or what thoughts do you have you want to leave with our class? Well, the first thing you're saying about our bright futures ahead man we're old dude on. <laughs> we're on the bottom we're on the other side of the curve we're sliding into the grave so we just got to think about how we want to what legacy do we want to leave isn't it it's legacy thinking time now so what do we want to you know leave behind in this world and one of the things that's always 
you know, I guess a driver for me is that how do we, or how do I, you know, make, leave the world in a better place than when I found it, you know, that kind of thing. So it's, you know, it's that, that, I mean, that's what's on my mind at the moment is what, did I just come here, suck up some oxygen and, you know, that was it. You just fade out and you just came here and consume stuff. Or is there stuff that I can leave behind that helps, you know, others in some way? I think, you know, that's what drives me to do this sort of coaches notes and the podcast. And, you know, I do a lot of sort of blogging Um yeah, because you know, just to yeah, you know, you know, you know, yeah, someone just comes across it and it helps them in some small way. Then you know, I'm I'm happy, you know, with that. Um, it's yeah, I guess for me, it's just that you know, how do you give back from all the things that you've? Because I've taken a lot, haven't it? You learned a lot, you take a lot. You know, all the people that help make you who you are. And now it's you know, what do we do to make sure that we help whoever? comes behind us yeah, however long i want them to upload my consciousness into some computer so if any of you guys are out there working on something like that we can load my consciousness into a chip or, <laughs> or to some i'd be afraid i'd be afraid of that <laughs> i mean like that I... what movie was that where the guys like his his thoughts were like Oh, you you could read the people's thoughts, like what was going oh, on. That would people's be scary, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, there yeah. was a show. There was a show on uh, on Amazon called Upload, where just if they can catch you just before you die, they you can get uploaded to the metaverse mm. and and live out that and that sort of thing. But anyway, if any of you are working on that, hook me up. Uh, That'd be uh, Kenny <laughs> says it's called Westworld. That'd be scary, man. I don't think I want my brain uploaded. I want I want to. You just, don't think so? No. You want to just I be want, finished? I'd be I, well. I, I don't know. It'd be, oh, it'd be on, parts of it. Parts of it would be cool. <laughs> Sign me up, man. Yeah, absolutely. So it looks like there's been loads of these. Um, yeah, you know, like that. Yeah, Divergent, another one. So, mm. Clay, thank you again for taking the time and and being part of this uh, Old Grab podcast. I'm grateful that you are um, a West Point graduate, our classmate, good friend, great example. I think you are the embodiment of taking the uh, the harder right uh, in your life. And, uh, what an example, what an example for all of us. So thank you again. No, thank you, buddy. Thanks for having me. And I think, you know, again, this is a great oral history, so definitely keep these up. So I'm like, yeah, all the people, if you haven't, if you haven't interviewed all these people that are in the chat now, get them all on. Cause I'm on a mission to help you get all 900 people thank interviewed. You. And, so and since since you're so let's let's I'm gonna I'm gonna if, if you're listening to the audio podcast it's gonna close out right here. Until the day was gone and I said.